Hey, folks, welcome to Free Press Sports with Carl's and Sean. Happy holidays, Carl's. It's good to see you. Merry Christmas, whatever it is you celebrate. I hope you had a great one. I know the Lions had a great holiday. The Pistons, not so much. We're going to talk about both today. I think we should start with the Lions, though, because it's, a, it's the season of uh, goodwill, right? Jolly yeah. and mirth, mirth and all that. And we'll, we'll set all that other unpleasantness aside for a little bit. And get into the Lions and how Dan Campbell apparently needs a, a, a lifetime contract, which you which you absolutely. Yeah. He, yeah, how many how many wins away is he from taking over this town? I mean, if he hasn't if he hasn't already one one win on whatever January fourteenth, whenever the playoff is, that's how one how many wins he's away. You think he he's already? I mean, he's. I I was thinking about this. You know, I've been thinking. We've all been thinking. Dan Campbell lives in our head rent free, and I was just thinking like this: What would it take for people to not? To, to fall out of love with Dan Campbell and this whole town. And, you know, it would take so much. I mean, even next year, a whole collapse wouldn't do it. You know, 0-16 or 0-17 wouldn't do it. Oh, it's a rebuild after they lost Ben Johnson and this and that. It would take so much just because there's just something, and we've written a lot about him, obviously a ton about Dan Campbell, but it's beyond just the winning. It's the the everything about him his the way he carries himself the way he connects with everybody you know up and down the spectrum of 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 leading a team you know so people just like him they like the idea of him but he just he, he's really connected in a way that a few other people and i i i don't want to go on to a long tangent because we got to get another stuff but, but we'll get back to that but he's connected in a different way that someone asked me about jim caldwell and he had a winning record and it was like Howell just had a, it was a different vibe. We can get into that later if we want, but Campbell just, there's just no, he hasn't made a bad turn. You know, he has not made a wrong, when he's made a wrong move, the brilliance of Dan Campbell is he recognizes it, he owns it, and he gets past it. It's not, I mean, this these other things, firing Don Muehlbach or cutting him on his birthday would have been the Titanic hitting the iceberg for a lot of other coaches. No. Called himself a, an idiot or a jerk and, you know, whatever, and moved right on. And I was like, oh, man, he just won everybody over. The, the One of the single best, smartest PR moves you could ever make. And in fact, I don't know this for sure, but like, I don't know this at all. But in a way, it would have been, I don't think he did it, but it would have been genius. You got to cut a longtime veteran. When do you cut him? Cut him on the worst day possible and then own it. I'm a jerk. And then put him on the staff anyway. That is like the, the 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 chess move to beat all chess moves. I don't think he planned it, but it worked out so perfectly for him. So one of the many reasons that he he owns this town and will own this town for years to come. He he worked it, it worked out because he was just being himself, which is the the whole key to this. It's interesting you mentioned Jim Caldwell. He came up in my my family holiday gathering. Jim Caldwell came up in part because it's funny uh, speaking of Dan Campbell, he came up too and that's a room full of Lions fans. Most of them are not lifetime Michigan people, not all of them, but most of them. And they were going around talking about the, the team and their favorite player. And the, it's funny, at some point, somebody said, who's your favorite player? Dan Campbell, right? The, the, <laughs> the, 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 the coach is their favorite player. And he was, yeah. it's funny, you know, there are plenty of people that like some like Laporta or, or Gibbs, or there's some love for the offensive linemen, especially Sewell and Ragnow. Amon Ross, St. St. Brown, the way Mellon Fonda was playing right now. He he his name came up a couple of times. So the, all these players, but the consensus, Carlos, was no, yeah, yeah, they're, they're great. We love these guys. But no, it's Dan Campbell. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really something. My, my niece, who's not a football person at all, said that she, you know, her her girlfriends. On a, even on a text thread, or just when they're they're talking about that, th- this guy's name comes up. It's it's really something, and they're not particularly they're not particularly football players. I mean, football people. You know, I, I had a, a, one of my sons said to me during this this talk. He looked. He said, "I I don't know about football a whole lot. I don't know about anything, but he's the one guy in my lifetime that I would run through a wall for." And that's kind of a cliche. But that he, but he, he, he inspires that, and it's because he's, it's because he's, he's himself, and it's, it's really, really something. If he wins the Super Bowl, then you know, yeah, look out, right? 
The problem with being yourself is it's the biggest cliche in, in, in the NFL about coaching, especially. And, and we, so the NFL publishes these things, um, little like kind of a pre preview for the season. And they do questionnaires with first time coaches. Like if you've taken over a team or whatever, you're a first time coach in the NFL. And it's just a, like a Q and a thing. And they just, you know, it's a form, they just fill it out. And a lot of it is one of the, the standard questions is what's the best advice you've ever gotten. And they almost all without fail say, always be yourself. Well, what if you're a jerk? Uh, yeah, that doesn't work. So being yourself, I mean, I think this is Dan Campbell, but he also knows when to lean into the best parts of himself, you know? And I think the way he cares himself overall in, is natural, but he also knows how to play the room. He knows how not to get angry about certain things. He wasn't happy with a question I asked him last week about season tickets, but he didn't another coach might have really lost it. He, it was clear he didn't like the the question, but he didn't make it personal. He didn't attack me. He didn't, you know, or anybody in the, you know, he, when he hasn't liked a question, he doesn't, he, he knows how to sidestep. He knows how to diffuse a, a touchy situation. And um, there's a lot of really uh, careful thought that goes into that, that goes beyond just being yourself and being a dude. There's so much, so many layers to Dan Campbell. Someone could easily write a book about him, but yeah, he is. He is the enduring part of this team that gives you the most face because players come and go, right? I mean, they lost, you know, Jamal Williams was a really popular, successful wording back last year, but people weren't that worried about it when they lost him and when they traded DeAndre Swift, they're like, no, we have confidence in obviously Brad Holmes to maybe pick the right guys, but Dan Campbell to make sure they're used the right way. So, and they lost a running backs coach too, Deuce Staley. So they, they lost that whole unit basically and didn't skip a beat and they're even better than they were last year. So this is, this is the quality of the head coach of the confidence, how he cares himself, how he guides his team, how he keeps moving forward and succeeding. It's not always going to be this way. You know, they're not going to have a high pick next year and things are going to change. He's probably going to lose Ben Johnson. So things will change. But I think that that's the thing is the coach endures. Look at Bill Belichick, right? And I think this is the, this is the time for the Lions. The time that you've seen these other, you know, the, the mainstays, the Andy Reeds, the John Harbaugh's, the, you know, back to the Levin's Lombardi's and the Tom Landry's and Sean McVay, you know, like these, the, this this is the guy. The Lions finally have their Lombardi, their guy that's going to be here for a long time, that there's a lot of confidence that he's winning. You know, like they haven't had that. I mean, Wayne Fonts and, you know, you have to go back to like Buddy Parker and George Wilson in the 50s before that. Joe Schmidt was, did okay, but nothing like, you know, like, like what any other team has had, their Lombardi. Finally, it looks like the Lions may have their Lombardi. Yeah, being yourself to me is just being authentic. It's, I mean, you know, when you're talking to somebody generally and they're full of it, and he's not. And I think, you know, it's funny, this came up too, yes, on Christmas Day in the, in the conversation, just this idea that he's going to tell you what he thinks. And, that, and that's what people mean when they say, are you being authentic? Are you, he's gonna, he, his players know where he stands and know what he thinks, good, good or bad. And, and that's, you know, that's really something. Caldwell's name came up because, the group was kind of talking about players, coaches, and and the the his guys liked him too. Caldwell absolutely had the locker room, and they played for him. It was different though. He he didn't connect with for various reasons. They didn't quite win. They didn't win like this for one, but he didn't connect with the public in the same way that that Campbell does. And 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 that's a difference. But it's just it's just this idea of are you saying what you think, and that's not easy to do. I mean, it's it's really not for so many of us. It's not easy to say what you think, and he does. And even even with us, he does. He, you know, he might have to couch it a little bit here and there. Maybe he's not going to cuss, right? You you can't get up in front of the microphone. Even that question you ask him, I I didn't think he disliked it so much. As he's, he was like, "Oh, come on, man! What, what what do I have to do?" I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but he's like, "Oh, man, I I don't have anything to do with that. You're putting me in a tough spot. I can't." But he wasn't mad. He didn't come across as mad at all. He was just more, oh, dude, you know I can't answer that, but here's what I got. And that's how he is. It, 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 it wasn't contemptuous at all. Not right. in of it. He didn't like it. And I can tell you why he didn't like it. Because he had a good idea that it was coming. And one of the little chess matches, this is a little inside baseball, if anybody cares. But one of the things the Lions do is they stream their their 
live press, their press conferences with their coaches and specifically, obviously, Campbell, he knows that a lot of people, a lot of fans watch this. And when he, he said my name at the top, he knows that if he says my name, people are going to know who asked that question and they're going to come after me. So it's a little bit of a pushback that way. It's smart, you know, but that's an indication he didn't like the question. So just to be fair, everybody, everybody knows Carlos asked the question. So there's no confusion about it. And a lot of people did come after me and they were unhappy and whatever, which is okay. They can have their opinion about it. I try to explain how this works and whatever. It's a lot of inside baseball journalism stuff. And I don't know how many people care about that, but he did not like the question. Let me, I will guarantee you he didn't, but that's completely okay too. You have the right to not like a question is how you handle it. And as we know, Caldwell got very personal with people when he didn't like questions, when he, his, when his relationship started to fail in the media, he tried to do some stuff and I give him a lot of credit. And I, I like Jim Caldwell. People ask, I did too. There was a little undercurrent in the media that we were, we didn't like him because he's a black coach and most of the media is not black. And it was like, no, you know, I liked call. We used to talk about, I wrote about this. We talked about books and we're, we're kind of old souls. We both would watch Charlie Rose and things and talk about World War II and different books and things. And I really appreciated how smart he was and how well-rounded and everything. But he struggled with respect and not feeling as though he had enough of it and kind of for good reason by the way right for good reason but he kind of brought he he had to understand he just was not he was not a great game manager at all that was one of his biggest failings in in the real way in a very real way and he didn't like being questioned about it he didn't like and that's what every every coach it doesn't matter who you are you're gonna get questioned about why did you go with word on fourth and one whatever and he took exception to that he didn't like it. And he had this this kind of grandfatherly vibe about himself that just like I'm kind of you know the elder statesman or whatever. And he didn't like when that was challenged. He didn't like. I remember one of the things he didn't like when when we start, first started doing shooting video on our phones and that people would hold their phones up and he's like, you guys look like you're in the witness protection program and putting you know put your phones down and this and that and you know like he not in a mean way but little things like that like something that Campbell would never it's a speed bump trap that would never stop Campbell he wouldn't care I'm sure there's things he doesn't like the way people sit and slump in their chairs the way they hold their cameras the way they ask questions. Never. Every coach has their thing. You know, Patricia used to not like that we didn't say, you know, good morning and, you know, loud enough and whatever. I'm sure Campbell, he's a human. He's got his own preferences and, but you don't, he doesn't communicate that. He, he tamps that down, you know, and he's smart to do that. And don't let the little things get to you. And it's, it's worked really well for him. He's really gotten the benefit of the doubt for a lot of losing the first you know, year and a half in the media or in, in his career. But he got the benefit of the doubt from media because he he knew how to. The local know. media, not the national media, which poked at him for a while, especially with that losing, right? The kneecap. Yeah, media. but the national media doesn't matter. It's the local media that matters. They're the ones who are the ones who criticize him on a day to day or praise him on the database. database. He's, he's, by the way, the local media, that's who Sheila Hamp reads, by the way. She doesn't read. Mike Garofalo, whoever, you know, she doesn't care. Well, about she, she, she might, she might read both. And I do, I'm going to push back a little bit on, on the fact that he mentioned Carlos. He's mentioned plenty of reporters names in news conferences. To me, the secret to him is that he just, he's, he doesn't, it's something he's indifferent. He, I don't think he cared that much about that question. I really don't. As a human being, when you, when you don't like something, it's hard to, it's really, really hard to hide it. And he may do that from time to time. But again, I just, he was just honest about it, and I just don't think it mattered to him that much, you know. And maybe he thought about it before going in. I just, I, do, I don't, I think that's part of his secret. He just, it just doesn't. He doesn't let things get to him, and so therefore, it's easy not to get irritated or sound tense or whatever, like Caldwell did, like like so many coaches do. I'm, I'm trying to think of a single instance where he's sounded like that. And he, you're right, he did a lot of losing. Can you remember a single time? I, I not can't. one time, not, 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 not one time not where once. he's been angry or pushed. Not back once, or, yeah. not once. And he just, to me, that's just who he is. It's how he sees things. It's, it's how comfortable he is with himself. And it's, it's a great trait. It's really something to admire. It's not easy to say what you think, and and sort of understand people and be okay with who you are. It's just, it's part. It's part of why he's different. I mean, it's not unique. There are other people like that, obviously, on this planet. And there are other coaches like that, but it's. 
even Izzo, as long as he's been doing it, he gets a question he doesn't like. He can't hide it. He can't. <laughs> because, because it's hard as a human being. It's really, yeah. really hard to take. In that moment, it's really, really difficult not to react. Yeah. And that's why I don't think he really cared one way or the other about that question that much. He just, he's just, when you're that. I'll tell you after the break why he cared for sure. But yes, he cared, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with not liking. You're telling me he's never not liked a question ever in the three years? Of course he has. I mean, mean, maybe, but he just, but it's it's not that big a deal. He doesn't take it personally. He's not going to worry about who's asking or whatever. He just not, you know what I mean? He just. I mean, yeah, maybe he doesn't like, but I think he thinks more about what his answer is going to be and his responsibility to his players and the, to the owner and the front office and the organization and the fans. And that's what I think he thinks about more is how absolutely, absolutely. He thinks about how does the, the number one, the North star for him is what Sheila's watching this. How does this reflect on her? How do I represent and the players? Her? And that's, no, not the players. The Sheila. It's that. It's my job. How do I make not, them look no, good? How do I not embarrass this team? How do I not? Because sure. I guarantee you, when he came in here, who did he follow? Matt Patricia. What did Matt Patricia do? He jousted with reporters and he had tried to repair that relationship. It was doomed from the start for that reason. But but he knew, you know, like, it's I can't be doing this. I can't be angry. I can't have these these bad moments where I, you know, have to explain to somebody above me a white old dude why are you losing your cool and the guy who's slumping in his chair you know like everybody's it's got a box just even that, head, yeah it's not just coach. it's not just the owner no for sure the, no absolutely he's it's not just mine but he's number one cool. the owner for sure the height, it's absolutely but you don't, he cares? Players, you don't think he thinks she watches the the well, things of course the, he the does, but i'm saying i'm saying that coach he cares what josh pascal thinks yeah, absolutely i do the whole locker room that's you better believe the players watch that. Oh, my goodness. It, I've been around coach or manager or whatever, whatever sport, and they, they are very aware of how they sound to their players. If they're saying one thing to us and another thing in the locker room, players don't like it. They think they're f- full of crap. That absolutely matters in that relationship, and it has to do with how you perform. It's everything. It's just as important as the owner. I would say it's just as important as the owner. One okay. A and one B, that's fine. Yeah, because you got to win. Wow, who signs you his, his check? Does Josh Pascal sign his check? No, you know who? You know what signs his check? Winning, mm-hmm. having a team, having a team. Remember when Sheila, Sheila, Sheila Hamp took over, and the, I'll never forget it. It was the comment about how the team sounded immediately after Patricia was out, and the way they reacted to him. That's what she cared about in that moment. And then we've we've written reports. We've all heard about how we don't need to go back and relitigate Bob Quinn and all that. But that absolutely mattered. And she it mattered to her, not because of perception, although that may have been part of it, but because you can't win. You, you can't run an organization if you're just we got to be careful in the words we use here. But if you can't connect with your players, the, the, the coaches use us all the time. You know, sometimes to reinforce, sometimes to uh, light a fire. Oh, my God, Jim Leland. I, few few people I've ever been around in professional sports were better at it than he was. He used to regularly use us to get messages out. <laughs> I mean, it's smart. Why, why wouldn't you? Yeah, no, absolutely. Obviously, there's a whole complexity to the press conference and, and all that. You know, these people like, oh, he won the press conference. Who cares about that? Whatever. There's a lot. There's a lot writing on the press conferences doesn't look like it, but there is. And you're absolutely right. Yeah, of course, the players, you know, if he's saying one thing to them and then he's saying something to us or whatever. Yeah, he comes off as, you know, disingenuous or, or right, two-faced. Right, Los? If he blames, sorry to interrupt. If he, if he blames them, that's even worse, right? If you got if a coach that's taking out on his players. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I mean, most coaches don't. It's really rare, you know, for a player, for, for a coach to do that. And, you know, it, it's it's never, it's almost never a winning strategy. To do that, it's rare, but, but yeah, even the little things. And I think, you know, the, to me, the, the, the misconception about Campbell, I think is that, you know, the Lions love to put out these post-game celebration videos in the locker room and he's yelling, yeah, let's go team. And fans think, oh, that's why they love him. Look at him. He's a tough dude and a coach and everything. That's not it. It's, it's, it's every coach does that after they win games. It's not unique. It's what's unique is the way he's shoots them straight, tells them, 
if you do this, you'll play or whatever. If you don't do this, you know, you're not going to play. And this is what we need out of you. And this is what we expect. And guys get benched and guys, whatever. He doesn't throw them under the bus, but he's honest with them. That's all they want. All the players want at the end of the day is tell me what I need to do to be successful and give me a fair shot at doing that. Whether I'm a special teams player, whatever it is, they don't, you know, they don't need to be coddled. They don't need to be whatever. They just need to be told. And then you need to keep up your end of the bargain as a coach. And yes, you did this, whatever you're going to do, you're going to play, you're going to get more snaps, you're going to get whatever. That's what they want, right? And that's, he's great at that. He's he's great at that. And, and you know, I don't know if he's super unique in that, but but not all coaches are like that. They're not. Yeah, especially, it sounds simple, right? It sounds simple, but it's not. Or everybody not, would do it. It's not. And these coaches, these players have played a long time. They played for a lot of different coaches and coordinators and position coaches through high school and college and now the pros and especially the veterans. They've been on different teams. They've been treated differently, you know. And so that's the thing. And that's, Cole shared that. He was honest with the players, too. He was a straight shooter. And the thing with Caldwell that endeared him to not to go back too much, but just that he was coming off Schwartz and Schwartz didn't really care about the players and didn't really tell him, you know, the truth all the time. And Caldwell was very much like, hey, this is how it is. This is what we're going to do. And he's also, hey, you guys have families, you know, do your work. Get out of here. I'm not going to make you live in the facility. You know, you're grownups, whatever. If you do your work. And you do it well, you know, your time's your own. I'm not going to force you to like, you know, put in FaceTime and whatever, suck up. But Campbell, definitely that's that's the, a huge thing for him, connecting with players. That's what it is. That's what they like about him. And he's winning. And he's also a likable guy. I mean, on top of that, he was a former player. He totally understands the players on a different level than some other coaches might because he's been through it himself. That's another thing that they, I think they appreciate. He's speaking from experience. And, you know, the other part of it, too, is, yeah, he knows what to say. He knows who's listening. And he's not he's never what I think Campbell understands more than anything is anytime he might have a disagreement with the media or whatever, you know, push back or whatever. That reflects poorly on the team and the owner. You know, and that's what you can't have is you just cannot have to if you do something wrong. You know, if he does something that that embarrasses the team, he's got to explain it to, you know, probably Chris Spielman, Rod Wood, Sheila Hamp, who, who knows, however, you know, many other executives that are there that might question, you know, um, that's the problem is your your there's a hierarchy here, you know, and even though Campbell's going to have a lot more power, he's 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 earning that power, you know, where he's going to have to explain fewer of his decisions and they're going to have to like, hey, this guy can, you know, can do pretty much what he wants pretty soon. If he starts winning a lot. Yeah, they're still going to be who have to answer to your owner at the end of the day. Don't make them look bad. So that's a lot of it. But yeah, his personality, he just I don't think he has that personality of taking things too hard or too personally or you know, whatever it is, he's diffused things very well. It's, it's, it's what gives you hope and what makes him likable. Yeah. There's subtle things too, that are really, really important. You, you know, for example, Sam Laporte is on a heater for a few weeks and they get start. He gets asked about Laporte a lot. This taking this name out of the head. It could be Jameer Gibbs. It could be the, the rise of Melifano, whatever. At some point, it's not that he's going to diminish that, what that player is doing, but he will start to include other players. He will find a way to talk about a, a wider swath of the team. You know, it, he's, it's not that he's careful with his praise, but there, there's, a, there's, some, there's a balance in there, right? You know, you don't want your players thinking your co- you know, the, the head coach is just talking about this one player all the time or whatever, or maybe they're getting a little bit too much. That, that's delicate, and he's just really good at that. And he's not the only one, obviously. There are other coaches that are good at that, but you can, you can pick up on that. He's got, he's just, you know, a good quarterback is like that. Jared Goff's actually like that. You know, you ask him about him and he wants to talk about the running or the, or the tight end block or the, or the, you know, his guys up front, whatever. And, you know, any, any good leader, I guess. That's why we say, because the quarterback has to meet with the media at the podium usually every week. Every, I think every NFL team does it that way. Most of them. So, no, that's all, that's all good stuff. It's all smart. We need to take a break, Carlos, pay some bills. And we can come back and, and talk a little bit. If you want to talk a little bit about the actual game, Minnesota, the upcoming game against the Cowboys, uh, maybe a little bit of the seating. They actually control their destiny. 
we'll we'll dig into that here in a second. Not for the one seed, but for the two seed. So let's let's come back and wrap this up on the other side, and then we'll get to the oh god, the poor Pistons. All right, we'll be right back with more free press force with Carlson Show. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlson Sean. So, dude, may I call you dude? May I call you dude? You want me to call you brother? I like calling you brother. The Lions are tied for first place in the NFC. This is, and it's late December. Is is that? Can we just get our heads around? They're they're not likely to finish with the number one seed. San Francisco is. They've got a, you know, they beat the Cowboys. Minnesota would be tough again back here. I mean, they have a shot at the number two seed, but but just the fact that they're tied atop the NFC standings, you know, and we're almost at New Year's, is that? I mean, can you get your head around that? It's 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 like a different reality. When they were one in six, I exactly predicted to be at this moment, Sean. And you know, midway through last year, you look, they're going to be there. They're going to be close to number one. I can I can sense it with this team. No, this is insane. It's a, it's it's beyond I, it, this. Has, I hope this has exercised a lot of demons and a lot of, you know, Lions fans because nobody saw this. Nobody. I mean, I think what what everybody thinks is going to happen is what's happened before is, OK, they squeak into the playoffs. They don't win the division, but they get the wild card or whatever. Maybe they win the division, but, you know, whatever. They're they're not exactly, you know, rolling through everybody. One of the better teams, one of the best teams. They're just making, you know, it's a weaker division and Cousins is hurt. Rogers going, oh, okay, they win with, they win the division with maybe, you know, 10 wins, maybe 11, whatever at the end of the year. But yeah, that the, they're doing this is, is almost unfathomable. And one of the reasons I think is that the last time they did something like this, they had Barry Sanders. You know, and and they don't have a star like that on this team. There's nobody even close to that or Calvin Johnson. You know, it's just they don't have that. And there's a lot of questions about some of the players that they do have. So I don't know where the credit goes exactly, you know, probably to your to your coach of the millennium, Dan Campbell, but or Brad Holmes or whatever. But it's 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 strange that it's happening this way and that it happened. The turnaround happened so fast in in one season essentially you know it's just crazy but yeah i can't even it's hard to it's hard to imagine yes unfathomable it really is and we've talked a lot i think we talked about this last week you think of you're right they don't have barry sanders that they don't or or calvin johnson or whatever what they do have and this is also you you mentioned how insane this is it's it's crazy to think about this because when you think about the group I'm about to mention, which I know you know, you think about a well-run front office. You think about a well-run organization because, yeah, you can you can luck into or you know be bad and get a high pick and get the right play. You, you know, Barry Sanders or Calvin Johnson, you can you can find that guy once in a while, not very often, but 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 that's not a team. You know, maybe if it, maybe for basketball, you, you get a guy like that and you can. You can do more things, but to go with, you know, 11 starters, 22, actually, both sides of the ball as opposed to five, it's, it's, there's a big, big difference. But, but what they do have is when they're healthy, arguably the best offensive line of football. And, and, and that's crazy to, to think about because that means you've got to build and piece together. And, you know, admittedly, Brad Holmes, I'm sure, would be the first to tell you, he had a couple of those pieces when he took over. He, he and Campbell did. And, but they were smart. To double down on that, and then and then go that way, and that's that's why they are as good as they are without having, as you said, Barry Sanders or Calvin Johnson, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, although although we should give some props to these skill this collection of skill guys they have because they're not bad. It was, it's, it's not like those guys are average players, right? They're I mean, Gibbs and St. Brown are are pretty good. <laughs> well, yeah, they've got very good players, you know, but they don't have uh, borderline Hall of Fame guys. You know, that's that's what they don't have or guys who are unquestionably the best at their position in the whole league. They don't even have. No, Matthew they Stafford. don't. I mean, I they think right now. No. And right now, I think, even, I, you know, especially with the Rams kind of surging as the thing. I think any Lions fan right now in an honest one would say we'd rather have Matthew Stafford than Jared Goff right now. You know, so they're doing things with with what they have, with how they're built, with how Bob Quinn, you know, drafted uh, some good players like Ragnall and Jonah Jackson. And 
you know, before him, Martin Mayhew, I think, got got uh, Taylor Decker, and you know, so yeah, I mean, he, they inherited some of these. Players, I think it was you know? Quinn. I think I was. I think it was Quinn. Did Quinn get pick. Decker too? Yeah, I think so. Bob Quinn's the key to this whole franchise. Is what you're saying? Well, no, it's crazy. No, Deck Decker Decker's really good, but he's not the best at his position. You could argue Sewell is the best right tackle in the league, and you could argue Ragno is the best center. There's an argument to be made. You, I don't think it's the same with Decker. Jonah Jackson, as good as he is, I'm not sure. But anyway, yeah, that's you're, you're mean, right. Yeah. Who, who who on the tw- of the twenty two is the best at their position? There, the, can you even make an argument for Sewell at right tackle? Maybe and Ragnar center. That's it. Nobody else is of the twenty twos, right? Yeah. I mean, Hutchinson leads the league and Hutchinson leads the league and hurries and rushes and all that. Not sacks, but but is he as naturally good as some of the other other best other edge rushers out there? No, he's not. That's a that's a brutal comparison. And when I'm talking about Barry and I'm talking about, you know, Calvin and stuff, it's talking about like unquestioningly the best, you know, like on Hall of Fame track, not just I mean one all pro two years ago kind of a thing. And, you know, the superstar kind of player. And that's what hard what's hard about offensive linemen. And, you know, like can you even call an offensive lineman a superstar? It's it's kind of tough. But no, but yeah, you can I mean, in terms of public knowledge, right? They're not a superstar. Right. And that's and, and that's OK. That's their job to be a, a wall, a mass of humanity that, that keeps things from happening, whatever. And I know you love it. I don't. But well, no, um, no. Think about what they real quickly, Carl. Think about what you just watched Saturday or Sunday in Minneapolis. They went in against a team that had the best defense in the NFL since October and had been given up 13 points a game on average. I'm sure you saw that. In the last eight or nine games, one of the best run defenses in the NFL, or just a really, really good defense, one of the best two or three defenses in the league, and ran for 157 yards. I mean, that's, 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 and Gibbs is really good, and Montgomery is good, but that's not why they ran for 157 yards, right? I mean, well, Gibbs, who knows? I and mean, he doesn't need much room when he goes, but it's because of those guys. I mean, right. that's just, yeah, you, you know, it's because of those guys. That's it. Yeah, for sure. You know, and some creative play calling from Ben Johnson and, you know, a good a good pass game. They had to, like, you know, worry about Sam Laporta and Amon Ross St. Brown and even Jamison Williams, you know. So it all works together. It's not just, you know, the run the, the, the run game is helped by the pass game and, and vice versa. So you can't just load the box and that's it and stop, you know. If you're going to throw the hitches yeah. and screens and whatever, you're going to beat, you know. Uh, and, 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 you know, Flores had a really good, there was a, I mentioned it in my little thing that I did was one of the three questions was, you know, Flores was blitzing down in the red zone and they, what did Goff do is he beat it in the second time and hitting, you know, throwing to Jameson Williams who made yards on his own. It's like, okay, well, we can't just send six every time and try to like stop them and keep from running or whatever. We're going to, we're going to try to stop you from running until you prove we can't. And they started proving they can't because they have a good receiving game and a good, you know, well, they play protect off too, right? They protect they off, protect they off all, once. all that stuff. But when the blitz comes, you don't have that much time. You're going to, you know, it, it's, it's, you got to make a decision quick and having options really helps. But yeah, absolutely. That offensive line is stellar, but that's, that's the, th- well, I don't even know. What do we, what's the question here? <laughs> we lost. There's no, there, we lost. there's, there's no question. We're just talking about how they're, we, we were talking about their, their seating and the oh, fact how that good they're, they, yeah. The, the, the fact that they're tied for first in the NFC this late in the season yeah. And and the reason the reason is, I mean, there are lots of reasons. You, you, obviously, the, everything works together. There are lots of reasons, but we saw once again, you know, they can go beat a a solid team, a desperate team, a team with a really good defense on the road. By the way, there were almost no Lions fans there at all. I mean, there were a few. And really, that was, that was that was to be expected, though, right? It was Christmas, and that yeah. fan base they loved those Vikings. It was loud, but yeah, you you the, the reason they were able to go in and do that is. It's because of what they've done up front. And for so long, this fan base is, they love Johnson, they love Sanders, all that. But what do we used to hear all the time, Carlos? When are we ever going to get built up front? Now, fan, the fans want to see it on both sides of the ball. And if they ever get there, then then they're a Super Bowl contender. If they become as good on the defensive line as they are right now on the offensive line, then they're a Super Bowl, t- like a legitimate Super Bowl team. Well, right? let me ask you. So, yeah, let me ask you. Jonah Jackson is a free agent after this year. Do you Do you pay him? Or do you let him go and replace him in, in the draft or something or free agency? I mean, maybe you can get lucky in the draft. That's that's a tough one. I mean, as long as Jared Goff's your quarterback, right? That's the question. 
If he's your quarterback, quarterback this year, year, next year rather, for sure, yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. But if you if, if you want to ride with him for the next few years and see if you can build the defense and win mm-hmm. that way, which you can absolutely win that way, then I think you got to figure out how to keep that line together as much as you can. You want to pay Jackson? You think you need to pay Johnny Jackson? He's really, really, he's really, really good. We saw. And where do you where do you get the money to pay the defensive line that's going to be so good? You can't you're just have draft everybody. No, you you're right. You're going to have to pay, but you don't need a super superstar. You just need somebody to help complement Hutchinson. I mean, maybe it's James Houston. I don't know. Ali McNeil is turning into a really, really good player in, in the interior of that line. So. You know, maybe you get lucky in Pascal, who's shown a little bit of development this year. But you're right; you're going to have to go. You're going to have to go find another edge, so, even if just to cover for injury, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, look at look at this year, right? You know, they need another cornerback. Yeah. You're going to have to pay money to somebody at those positions, and you know, the money doesn't. It, it's not endless, and they're going to have to extend Jared Goff. Probably, I don't know if they're going to do it this year. Um, I think Burkett's been making noise about they're going to maybe extend them this year with two years left. I don't know. I don't think that would be a smart decision, but they they're might have to pay St. Brown, right, at some point. They're going to have mean, to pay a lot of people. St. Brown, I mean, they're going to have to pay him. They're going to have to make it. I mean, I don't think I'm not sure when Decker's coming up. That's another question. You know, there's just the money is an endless. They got they got a cap They're They do. They got, but they got a two year window, right? They got a two-year window, right? Carlos more or less because Laporta and Gibbs are on rookie deals. Hutchinson's on a second-year deal. Some of their some of their really promising, good, not promising because these guys are producing right now, but good, good young players. They've got a small window before they have to pay everybody. Say Brown's right. coming up. Yes, they've got so, a, they've got about a two-year window left. Yep. But also, we're going to have to see what happens when they lose Ben Johnson, and you know that's going to be hard. And and. And also the defense, let's let's be honest. I mean, it's Aaron Glenn's an issue, you know, like you, maybe you maybe you fortify that defense even more and, you know, put more resources into it. And by the way, one of the things that I don't know, you know, I wonder is they when they didn't upgrade at the trade deadline, they didn't go after, you know, anybody, Chase Young or Montesuet or whatever. Maybe they don't plan to keep Aaron Glenn. And it's like, why are we going to put resources into this when we're going to get a new defensive coordinator and they're going to want to maybe do things differently and we're going to lock ourselves into, you know, a two, three-year contract with someone they may not want, you know, that's not going to fit their scheme or their style, whatever it might be. I don't know that. I'm just saying that it's just a, a potential option of it's not just maybe the players. It may also be the leadership. So... Aaron Glenn and, and Dan Campbell are tight. So I don't, I think that Aaron Glenn will survive somehow, but we'll see what happens in the playoffs. If they get run over by the, whatever, the Seahawks or the Rams in the first round and, you know, they, they score 42 points on the Lions and they lose 42 to 31 or something, then you're, that's going to color maybe some of the decisions they make. It might be. I mean, it's but it's different for Campbell than it is for us or for the fans, right? It's just a different perspective. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to get stops when you can't rush the quarterback. It just is. It it all starts with that. It's just the it's the same as on the offensive line. If you can't block for the backs or protect the quarterback, you're not going anywhere. And maybe if it's Lamar Jackson back there, right? But um, if if you have an elite quarterback, but there's no equivalent defensively. There's no there's no one player behind the defensive line that can change the entire defense like a quarterback can on a mobile elite, elite quarterback can on offense. So there's, yeah, so they're kind of stuck. They, Garen Glenn can't, his defense can't generate pressure unless he blitzes, more or less, right? He gets right. the better offensive lines. He gets the better better offensives. And that's an issue, and that's what, and that's what they got to figure out. But, you know, maybe they can get the right matchup. You're right, the Stafford thing, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about that with the Rams. That's, God, that's a, that's an unsettling – I've already can hear the rumbling a little bit. That's an unsettling thought for a, a lot of fans. Aaron Glenn might be fine. You know, it's, we'll, see, we'll see what the resources are. Real quickly, though, before we get to the Pistons, just do, do they win out? I mean, I, not that I want to put you on the spot for a prediction, but if they, let's just say this. If they win out and San Francisco loses one of the next two, I think they're playing at Washington, and then they finish with the Rams. If the Lions went out, beat the Cowboys and the Vikings, San Francisco loses one of those, probably not going to lose to Washington, they're the number one seed. San Francisco <laughs> wins out. Dallas wins out. They're the number two seed. 
I mean, if San Francisco wins out and the Lions win out, the Lions are the number two seed. If they lose and Philly wins out, then they're probably the number three seed. But the idea that they could be looking at two home playoff games, that's not – and now beating the Cowboys is huge. I mean, that's hard, rather. But well, well, what do you think? First of all, they have a shot because the Cowboys have lost two in a row, but they've both been on the road, and they're great at home. They're undefeated at home. They're one of the best, you know. Shoot, they look like yeah. the best team in football when they're at home. That's how good they are, and that's the disparity. Yeah, I don't like them winning this game just because, yeah, they're they're unbeatable at home almost, and they're also coming off a Monday night loss. You know, it's I think it was a Monday night loss, right? That they lose to the uh, Dolphins. Sunday. They, they play Sunday. Night. Yeah, they're going to be motivated to to make up for that. And they know what's right on the line. I mean, they know that the number two seed here here is up for grabs and they don't want to they don't want to lose to the Lions. I don't think the Lions have had a lot of a terrible amount of luck in Dallas. So, yeah, I don't I don't see them winning out, you know, specifically against the Cowboys. I see them beating, you know, if it I don't think that the seating will be locked in no matter what happens this weekend, but if it's a legitimate game in the finale against Minnesota at home, I you know, I would predict they they beat the Vikings. But to me, it's almost, you know, second seed, third seed. I think it's it's tough because those two, the potential matchups with the Rams and the Seahawks, the Seahawks are kind of the Lions kryptonite. And you just but the thing like what was it? The the was it the team you don't want to lose to the most? Was it Gary Muller or whoever said that? And that's about Michigan State, Ohio State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you don't want to, they don't want to lose, they don't want to lose to Matthew Stafford and the Rams. That's what they don't want to do is they don't want the old guy, the old quarterback, their old star that, you know, coming in here and especially at Ford Field, right? And at Ford Field, it's just, this would be this, this existential problem for, for Lions fans. If you lose to the Seahawks, you're going to be upset. We watched them three straight times what the heck, you know, and it's, it's going to, it's any loss, any loss will sting. But I think the Rams one would sting the most. So any, any seeding that gets you away from a Rams matchup, whether it's the third seed or the second seed, you know, I think the Lions fans would rather, if you know, it's a lower seed, can we avoid the Rams please? So, um, and then they, you know, they lost to the, to the Seahawks, but I think they played them pretty close. So it was, it should be, maybe they haven't, you know, the whole, it's hard to beat a team twice or whatever. So, yeah, it's 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 gonna be tough. They don't. They just they 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 have a chance to win out. I don't think they will. Do you think they're gonna? Do you think they will win out? I, I think that's a, I think that's a tall task to to go beat the Cowboys there, especially with the Cowboys going off two two tough road losses. One they got blitzed in Buffalo, and but the Dolphins was the last second field goal, and and yeah, they're fighting for position, and that crowd's gonna be. It's, you know, they're, again, they're not gonna be very many Lions fans, although there are a fair amount of. Michiganders in Texas, so maybe there there probably be more Lions fans for that game than there were in Minnesota, I would imagine. But no, yeah, I, I I'd be shocked if not shocked, but I'd be surprised if they. I think they can hang with Dallas. I think they want to show they're they're ready to compete at that level, you know, because the Cowboys, as we said, are really really good at home. But yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you. All right, bud. We we gotta at least acknowledge. That and by the time y'all are listening to this, they, the Pistons may well have set history. <laughs> One more loss, and they set the record for consecutive losses in a season. I mean, how do we get here? What, what, what's what? Not that we need to break all this down, Carlos, but just do you have? Let me let me let me put it to you this way: It's just as a human being, do you have any empathy for what these these players and even the coaches? Are, are going through it all because they become a national story. This isn't just a local story at this point. It's a, it's a national story, the, the ineptitude, the losing. Yeah, it's, you know, I do because I covered 0-16 for the Lions. And that was, that was more difficult because it was, you know, that entire season and it went on. And, you know, the Pistons are not going to go whatever, 0 and 80, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. So, man, they're not going to go 0 and 82. But the Lions season was hard and I, I lived it, you know, in real time in the locker room and you could just see. And that, that was a little bit, that was, you know, it's apples and oranges. But there were firings in the way and on the way and and things got contentious with the media to some extent. And it was just, it was, it's it's tough. It's tough to to 
see the players go through it, the coaches through it, the live through it as the media that you have to cover them on a day to day basis. And it's just it feels hopeless and it's just it's just exhausting. And, you know, I don't think anybody had any idea that this was going to happen. It, it doesn't it just doesn't make sense. And, you know, people want someone's head on the platter. And the other day, right, the the chant went up, sell the team, sell the team. Yeah. You know, and Tom Gorris didn't have a good answer for that. You know, he met with some reporters after the game and, you know, talked about all the good they're doing in the community and this and that. And, you know, like that's not what people want to hear, you know, and he's the owner. He's the king. He can do whatever he wants and he's not going to sell the team. But something what what they really have, what the fans are asking for is change by sell the team. We want something different. We want something to change. And well, I think they'd literally like him to sell a team. <laughs> yeah, they'd love him to sell a team. But they, but what they're really getting at is change, change something here, some something as big as you can. Sell the team, or fire the coach, or fire the GM, or whatever. But it's not. And it's the same thing that happened with the Lions when they were zero sixteen. It was a lot of chance for sell, not chance, but yeah. calls to sell the team because of the Fords. And that, that's a little bit different because their ownership went way further back than Gorris has, but. It's it hasn't been a success in Rigoris, you know, and he doesn't live here and all that stuff. And it's it, I can understand the fran, fans frustration, but it's got it's hard for everybody right now. I just don't see, you know, where you where you have the hope. And, you know, they, they, they get a little close against the worst teams and then they they fall and they and Monty Williams is up there again. And we did this and that. And, you know, but I like how focused we are and everybody's professional and they come to work the next day and they work hard and blah, blah, blah. But it just doesn't work out. You know basketball a lot better than me, Sean. I mean, is there just until Duran comes back? Is that the answer? I mean, what what's what's going to say? I mean, Duran will help a little bit, but there there are a couple of things going on here. First of all, yeah, they 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 could get rid of Weaver right now, and it would placate the fan base a little bit. They could probably get rid of Monty Williams, and that might help some. Weaver's the the bigger target in terms of the fan base, and it's hard to fire a coach this soon. Although teams teams do it and it doesn't seem like he's he's connecting but but toss that aside the the losing and 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 just forget for a second how they're constructed because it's problematic obviously and a lot of things have just not worked out but to me there 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 are two things that are more fascinating than anything else and what, what the first thing that just from the fan base's perspective in the organization too is yeah where, where do you go i mean it, is is Cade Cunningham a, a guy you can go build around? I mean, he has nights where he looks like it occasionally, but not very many of them. And in the midst of all this losing, and it's partly partly it's roster construction, but there but there's just a, a psychological sort of devastation that comes with each loss. And how do you how do you get out from under that? I mean, and and that's the thing. I mean, this this team has enough talent to not be two and twenty seven or whatever it is they are, right? They could at least have won six or seven games. I mean, they're two and twenty-seven. I think they're forty-six out of their last. They've lost forty-six out of their last fifty. It's just that's almost unfathomable. I mean, you know, I don't know if it's worse than the zero and sixteen or not. But, but yeah. So, so that that's those are the two things I think about. Where do where do you go? And just for now, if you're coaching these guys, or if you're playing, if you're one of the players, how do you just get a win, right? How do you right. summon the the where, where do you turn to within yourself to figure out how to get a single win? It's that's what's sort of unusual about this, right? That's that's why this becomes such a story. That's why, oddly enough, they've had fans there lately, like a lot of them. You know, they're they're I, we talked about the rubbernecking a little bit, right? Are you sure they've had a lot? Because it doesn't look like a lot on TV, and they don't. No, put the, out, la- no. The, la- the last the, they were almost sold out for the Jazz game. The, so that was just the. I think that was the last home game. Maybe there's been one other. No, they had a stretch where there was nobody. But then as they got close to this record, they had weirdly an uptick in fans and and people. Partly, you know, I've been from what I can gather, some are going to chant, sell the team, like they're they're going down as a political statement. You know, I mean, right. Which is unusual. The tickets are probably reasonable too to buy. Yeah, they no, they no, they are. No, they 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 totally are. I mean, I keep hearing, "Oh, I want to go, I want to go." And when I was telling people, "I'm I'm going to go to the the game Tuesday night," and they're playing the Brooklyn Nets, and I had people, "Oh God, I wish I could go." I mean, what? 
what is going on with this psychology here, Carlos? I mean, I guess it's why I guess it's why they become a bit of a national story, right? I mean, and there have been stories about them outside of the sports, like CNN, and I want to say the New York been? Times. Not really, yeah, noticed that. Okay. yeah, no, there've been a little bit. Just like it always happens when there's a a record, historic record, right. especially when it's an ignominious record. You know, it it. I think, I think there, yeah, there's some degree of built-in empathy for when human beings are, and look, it's sports. We're not equating it's not it with empathy. Like it's rubbernecking. It's looking at No, I, th- I, think, I think it's both. I think there's rubbernecking, and I think it's like, oh, those poor fellas. I think there's both. I think it's both. It was the same it's thing so- with Owen 16 as when it got closer to the end, people were coming to to come to the funeral, you know? I mean, they yeah, just wanted exactly. to see how's, how is this happening, why, and... Yeah, no, for sure. It's it's really something. I, we'll, we'll have time to talk more about. I mean, obviously, Gores has got to make changes. I mean, what are you even going to write at this point, right? I mean, obviously, this well, got to make changes. But how many times can you say that? Yeah, I mean, the weird thing is he, you know, when he talks to the reporters, he talks about how they have amazing young players, right? And they have a lot of cap space coming. And it's like, okay, well, who's going to get that cap space? Is it going to be Weaver? Is it going to be somebody else? And the, the, that's, if you have that's amazing young players then you should have been able to win a game in the last 26, right? I mean, it's, no, you, don't, sure. you can't, I don't know if you can for say sure. amazing, but he's talking about the future. And he says like, yeah, nobody can really sell the, see the future very well, but you know, we're, we, we got cast space. We got young, uh, you know, young guys. We got, you know, he's selling you on a promise that something's going to happen and it hasn't happened. And they, this, what's weird about this season, right, is that, they just hired a different coach. They spent a lot of money in Monty they, Williams. They did. They and, did. you know, like with the Lions, it was the end of Marinelli's, you know, whatever it was, his third year, I think, on the team. It was clearly not working. And Matt Millen had been there far too long, you know, kind, maybe kind of in line with Troy Weaver a little bit, but someone had to go and they they fired Millen in se- during the season and they didn't fire Marinelli. They just like, we're going to ride this out. And, and it was kind of like, we're going to, we're going to get the number one overall pick, and that's what gets you Matthew Stafford. But I don't think that because the lottery system that doesn't necessarily equate. I don't think they're trying to tank. So uh, no, they're trying to win. I mean, I think that's what's so frustrating to the fan base too, right? They're they're trying to win, and and yeah. and they can't. They can't win sadder. a game. You know, you know, and I haven't heard this talked about a lot. Maybe some of the beat guys. But here, here's what is really baffling, Carlos. And you can say, okay, fine, the roster construction, whatever. And I do believe Duran will make a difference. Will will he make him start winning? No, but of course he's going to make a difference. I mean, in terms of the competitive level, they looked better the first three games of the year. They looked better than they did a year ago. They they had an intensity about them. They look. I mean, they were turning the ball over too much, and part of that's the youth. But they looked like an actual basketball team. And they start off two and one. Okay, fine. They beat Charlotte, but Charlotte's okay, and they beat them on the. They're not very good, but. That was a road win. They stayed with Miami, and then they beat the Bulls team. The Bulls team here, they looked, and then it just, they had that bad loss to Portland. They blew a fourth quarter lead. They were hanging their heads, and they ha- and in the schedule got tough, and that was it. I mean, that was it. I've never seen anything like it. It's just, it's, it's not like they look like this to start the season for those first few games. They and Monty Williams for a while kept saying, I know what's in him because I saw Willie was right. Well, he hadn't seen it now. And I mean, you can't really say that now, 30 games in or whatever. But that's that's what's amazing to me. Is it, is it that fragile? I, you know, I, it's, it's just baffling. Now, you could point to they haven't been the same. Duran got hurt that fourth game. He actually got hurt the third game and then sat the fourth game. And he's not been the same since. Is it is it really that simple? I don't think it's that simple. Yeah, he looked great this first couple of games. He looked like he'd taken a big step, and then he got hurt and he hadn't been the same since. But is that it? I, I don't know. Probably not. I don't know, dude. It, when when you're two and twenty seven, what are you gonna say? Yeah, there's something that has to change, and it's whether it's a change an organiza- organizational change, or you add a player, you know, or you change some some roles or whatever. You know, you can you you got to try something. I don't think there's anything drastic. And they have, you know, Bogdanovich came back and that hasn't helped. And no, and he's not been, he's not been that good either. Weirdly. Like he last year played probably the best basketball of his life. He's not been anywhere near that player this year. Is it him? 
maybe is it him getting older? Probably a little bit. Is it also him joining a team that just had no life and he's gotten sucked into that vortex? I would say probably a bit of that too. <laughs> it's just it's just nothing. There's nothing. It's it's really something. Anyway, yeah, no, the GM's probably getting the GM's got to go. I think. I mean, whether that's fair to Weaver or not, whether he's had other people telling him to make decisions he didn't want to, you know, that's Gore's fault. Right. If Weaver goes, whoever comes in to do, you know, has a vision, they they got to stay out of the way and let him sink or swim. And you're right, Gore's isn't selling the team. Why should he sell the team? Right. You know, you can yeah. blame Gore's all you want. The record speaks for itself. But we've talked about this before, Carlos. This is the last point I'll make. He's hired guys that have been good before they got here. It's not like he's just, yeah. Gores makes them bad, is what you're saying. He turns his. I, yeah, I mean, it's not like it's people get frustrated with him, and I understand it. But he's he's brought in guys that have, have good resumes, and it yes. just doesn't work. Dwayne Casey, just, yeah, they. I mean, and Stan Van Gundy was a really good coach in finals NBA. He's been in the NBA finals. I mean, right? He's a he's coach spending money. So it's like, like he's not spending money on no, on these exactly. coaches and so players, and exactly. So it's just not. It's just one of those things. It's just a terrible run of bad luck and. You know, the, the front office is a different question. Anyway, all right, let's let's take one more quick break and come back with your favorite thing. I wanna I wanna hear about your 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 pulling your leaf out of your table. Sounds good. All right. All right, we'll be right back with more free press sports with Carlson Sean. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlson Sean. It's that time of the show. It's Carlos's favorite thing. I wait for it every week. I wait for it the whole show. I need to shut the heck up so I can just get to his favorite thing. Nobody wants to hear about the Lions or the Pistons. It's all about um, Carlos. What you got? Well, my favorite thing is this week we have, I'm hosting my family in town from North Carolina. My sister, her husband, two kids, all all adult, you know, college age and and my mom. She lives with my sister. So they all came up and we're doing a little, they come in on Christmas day and they come home and we're doing a little gift exchange. And my mom's a knitter. So she knit me this little crocheted hat for me. She always thinks it's, and she does when she does visit in the winter, it is cold, but she thinks it's perpetually cold in Michigan. So I always get a bunch of scarves and things, but she knit me a hat. And Sean, I, I don't know exactly how to describe this hat other than I can imagine it's something that the Cossacks might have worn in Russia. And so it it I know it's gonna look ridiculous on me. And so my sister is begging me to put it on. So I put it on and immediately she needs to start taking a picture of me. But it looks so ridiculous on me that she just bends over, my sister Cynthia just bends over laughing on the floor. She's on the floor, like in the fetal position because she can't. She can barely breathe. That's how hard she's laughing about how this looks on me. And I have not seen, I don't get to see my sister that much, but I haven't seen her laugh that hard, maybe in her whole life. So it was really, it was really fun. Of course, I walked around the house with the hat and everybody else got a good, got a good laugh out of it too. But my sister really enjoyed it. And I was like, this is the best Christmas present. One of the best I've had because of how much joy it brought everybody in the house. But Specifically, my sister. So, and it was, you know, as it is, traveling on on in the holidays with family is a lot to do. So, I appreciate her and the family coming up, and I'm glad I was able to to bring that level of joy in her life for a few minutes. So, hopefully, my mom can sign, keep sending me those kind of hats, and she can keep enjoying that in the future. But it was, That's and I'll, great. I'll she, send you a picture of the hat. You'll yeah, please it. do. Did she make it extra large? <laughs> I have a big head, so in more ways, literally and figuratively. So no, yeah, I, I, you don't have a big. you don't have a big head, literally. <laughs> <laughs> I have a size seven and a little more than three quarters, or seven. No, I'm sorry, seven and a quarter to I seven mean, and a half, somewhere depending on whoever makes the hat, whatever. But seven and a quarter, I guess that's kind of larger. You, how big is your head, Sean? I'm guessing eight. Eight. Uh, I don't know what. I don't know. I, I you don't know. Giant. You don't wear hats. I would. I have a giant. I do. I wear a stocking cap a, a lot of a lot of the winter. I have a giant forehead. My wife used to call me Crow Magnet Man <laughs> because of the because of the forehead. I don't, you know. Hey, so it's it's all right. My favorite thing. I mean, I, I mean 
if I don't know where to start, Carlos, I'll just keep it simple. My brother came over with his his family, his wife and his wife, Sandra, and my, you know, his two kids, my niece and nephew, Mallory and Matthew. And it was great. We, they haven't been over here in seven years, I want to say. We haven't been together on Christmas in seven years. We, my mother died about eight years ago in October. And we were together that first Christmas. And it was, as you can imagine, uh, you know, pretty blue. And, and he just, it was a little too painful for him. And so he and he, his family, they decided to start leaving, leaving town for Christmas. They would go to Florida or go someplace warm and just to do something completely different because my mom loved Christmas and was just such a, a big Christmas person. She, she traveled a lot for work. She was all over the world for a lot of her life. And she got into the habit when she was younger of collecting little trinkets, little presents. She would do that all year round. And then so you you get to Christmas and you'd have these little things from, you know, she wasn't extravagant or anything, but just thoughtful. And she'd fill her closet up for 12 months of the year. And it just, anyway, so it was hard. And like it is for anybody when they, when they lose a parent or any loved one, and then you come to that holiday. And so he just couldn't, my brother just couldn't bear it. And, and that's totally understandable. Well, he called me up a month ago and said, hey, it's time we were together on Christmas. It's been too long. When I was like, amen, it has been. So that, that, that was easily my favorite thing was having, being back together with him on Christmas. It was, it was great. I, you know, what else was great? Real quickly, just Angelo's closing. I just want to mention that. Maybe I'll talk about that in another show and what that was like. But just their last day was Saturday. They had a big party afterwards. I stayed only for a little bit because I had to get to Minneapolis. But the Ann Arbor Public Library did, was doing a documentary of their final day for their archives, which was really cool. And they they wanted to talk to me and because you know I used to work there. And so the owner and I sat sat for a second to talk to him, and he told the the folks behind the camera that he taught me how to cook, he taught me how to write. He put me through school and he got me a job at the Detroit Free Press, which was, <laughs> was, of course, he was, you know, having fun and exaggerating. But it was just, maybe I'll talk about that, uh, get some thoughts on that. But I just want to acknowledge real quickly that it's not my favorite thing that they're closing, but that Angelo's had this amazing run and the owner and all the stuff they did for so many people over the years. So in any case, that was pretty special, too. It will be missed. Angelo's will will be missed. and. Yeah, my my family, my my sister and brother-in-law went to Michigan. That's where they met in grad school, and uh, he's actually going back there to to meet a friend, a uh, former student. And I told him, unfortunately, you can't go to Angelo's. <laughs> he's like, yeah, we heard about that. It's going to be sad. We they'd go there every once in a while, and they they took me there for the first time twenty thirty years ago now. So yes, thank you, Angelo's, for serving the community so well for so long. You will be missed. Yeah, and getting a lot of students through for sure. But in any case, all right, we got to get you out of here. You got to go see your people in Allen Park. And I don't want you to get back to your vacation because you got family in town, man. That's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Are you off through New Year's other than you're going to make a, you're going to pop up for a sec for the Cowboys Lions? Yes. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be writing something off the Cowboys Lions from, from the TV. And uh, yeah, got a few days off. So enjoying it. Hopefully you do too. Do you have yeah, time? You got, you got some time off after that too? You must, because otherwise you were going to come to Dallas, right? Family, family's first. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Good, good. All right. Well, I want to thank who, who do, can, we, can we run down that list? Let's just thank Robin and get the heck out. Yeah. Our producer, Robin Chan, you know, to Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to, to Robin Chan. He's been doing a, obviously great job and, Keeps this whole thing going and on track and sounding good, better than we should sound. And then executive producers, Kirkland Crawford and Anjanette Delgado, who support the show and do a lot for the show and, and promoting it and keeping us uh, in line because someone is Sean And Nicole Avery Nichols, who obviously is the editor of the Free Press and makes the whole thing work. But especially... Sean, who do we have to thank for this whole year of putting up with us? You, the listener. And by the way, I, I wanted to shout out, wrote, not shout out, but just acknowledge real quick. I heard from a couple of people that were very disappointed there wasn't a video or recording after the game, you know, the Lions saw on Sunday because they won the division for the first <laughs> time and they were looking to celebrate. And I don't blame them. I know, I, you know, you know, I totally understand that. I, I apologize for that. We were all trying to get back to our families. It was Christmas Eve. That's, I know that's not an excuse. We're paid to do a job. 
we just we just couldn't there just wasn't time and get to the airport and get home for Christmas. So please forgive us for that. But thank you for reaching out and thank for thanks for letting us know that you were disappointed. At least a couple of people <laughs> care, Carl. So yeah. Yeah, we absolutely need to thank the listeners more than anybody else. You and can don't uh, worry because the next time they win their, their division next year, we'll do it next year. Yeah. <laughs> They'll wrap it up much earlier. There's a, there's only one first time though, right? And we we uh, we we blew it. I mean, you can only you can only win once after 30 years and have that that feeling. Anyway, yeah, we'll see. Hey, they, it's been longer since they won a playoff game. We'll we'll definitely be there after a playoff game, right? If they win, or well, are we doing it this Saturday? You think for the for the uh, Cowboys? Yeah, we can we can sure try. You're not leaving sure. early. You're not you don't have an early. Flight. No, 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 no. Okay. I don't need yeah. it. Yeah, we can sure try. We can sure try. So, all right. Yeah, you can obviously find us wherever you find your favorite podcast. Rate us, you know, subscribe, please, whatever service it is you use. Do I really need to list them? Does Spotify and Apple? Yeah, what the heck? We just did. All right. Until probably Saturday night when the Lions play at Dallas, for sure, for sure next week, we will be we'll be back with what? What do we call the show? Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>